I'm glad that it's Christmas, and once again, it's great to have my family in town. I just want to say I love each and every one of you guys, and uh, let's say a special word here before we we get started. Um, Often Christmas can be a good time. It can be, you know, like a happy time, like everybody's together and we're eating and we're having fun and exchanging gifts. But if you've lived very long at all, often there's a thing... um, that happens, and it's called death. <clears throat> and normally around Christmas time, the time of the year to where it seems to be so happy for most people, a lot of times, even for those of us who are there, it seems like, you know, it's not all happy because there are people that we wish were here that are not. And sometimes, if you've ever been to an extended family gathering, there are people there who you wish We're not there, all right? But I just want to remind you of the hope of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to begin in our classic verse, verse number 16 of John chapter 3. We're going to walk through verse 21 here on this Christmas morning. And uh, as you're doing that, I just want to remind you once again, uh, were you blessed by Cassidy this morning? Amen, church? Yes. Awesome. And, uh, and she has CDs back there. I said before, I don't get a cut off of the sales, but that's an incredible way to give uh, two people the gospel through music. And also, she's got some stuff on iTunes. For those of you who are technologically adept, just go on iTunes, searching Cassidy Robinson, and it's some great stuff. But we're going to take a few minutes that we have left and look at the classic gospel in a sentence. What Christmas is, what life is, what eternity is, why we're here, or what we're supposed to do when we're here. Have you ever, you ever shown up to to, uh, maybe one of those one of those parties. Maybe it's a family party or it's, it's some type of gathering, and it's just kind of awkward. Have you ever been there and you're like, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to talk to or what I'm supposed to do or if I'm supposed to stand or whether I'm supposed to sit? And often life is like that. And in fact, what we're going to study here in just a few moments is going to tell us what to do while we're here. But since it's Christmas, I thought I'd share with you just a few of the gifts. And so many of you have been so kind and given me cards and, and edible things that are no longer here with us. But I, I have received a few gifts uh, from Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Would it be okay if we just shared some of those? Because often they say that the gift reflects the one who it is given to. So uh, uh, this was given uh, to me by one of, one of our youth girls. And it's just it's scripture copied out. Isn't that cool? It's in the book of Luke, uh, for unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Little little drawing here. That's cool. That's from grace. Isn't that cool? Right? Scripture. That's good. And, uh, and then also I, I received this from, from a church member. It's, it's earmuffs for shooting your gun. And then here's shotgun shells. Yes, there is live ammo at the pulpit of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church to shoot out of your gun. Yes, we are in Franklin County. And, uh, and then this, this has got me a little bit disturbed. It is a Brush Buddies Justin Bieber singing toothbrush. <laughs> and if you don't know who Justin Bieber is, consider yourself blessed, all right? He's a nice kid, but, you know, I don't really want to be brushing my teeth hearing baby, baby, baby. That'd be a little strange. And, uh, also, this, this is cool. This was given to me by a, by a friend who I will not name. Hey, Willie, how you doing? And uh, man, Willie actually made this. He made this. This is cool. And like, it's really neat. I, I may need this here in a couple of years. But 
Um, that, that's an awesome gift. And, uh, and also the most... What's that? I'll try not to. And uh, I've got this. Th- this probably made my Christmas. It is a genuine uh, Washington Redskins... This is going to be good. Prayer cloth. Because it could be interpreted one of two ways. This is for those of you who study hermeneutics and ways to interpret the Bible. One could be that since, Jeff, you are living in Redskins country, you should pull for the Redskins. But maybe it may be a little bit more correct to say that we give you this to, to sequester the prayers of the pastor for our ailing football team. So it could probably be that, but, uh, but amen for gifts. Y'all okay? Like that is the strangest collection. We go from scripture to Keynes to Justin Bieber. And they, but I tell you what, and something else too, and we're going to get into this in just a few moments. Have you ever been at Christmas time when everybody's opening up the gifts and it's just a gift that you're like, what is this for? You ever been there? Right? You're like, I, this, like I'm this size and it's either this size or it's this size or it's, I don't know what it is. Or is this like, you know, one of those things that the dollar store is like, we will not sell that. Get that out of our store. And we just don't, we just don't know what to do with it. We, we just have no idea. We're like, what is this? And, and the person who used and gave it to us is kind of, you know how they do. They kind of look at, look at your face like, I hope that you're excited. I hope that you like my gift. And we kind of feign a smile and we say, thank you for, for this, right? You know, and we just kind of put it to the side and we're thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. And often that's the way that it is with Christmas. And some of you know this verse by heart. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, going KJV on you, but shall have everlasting life. And often around Christmas time, people see gifts given and they may give and receive gifts and they see uh, advertisements for Santa and, and for reindeer and for sometimes baby Jesus. And some people don't even know what that means. But the gift of Jesus Christ, in fact, uh, man, we tell you how detailed we are at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church and how ridiculously simple. We just walk through the Bible. If you want to take notes on Christmas Day, we have notes for you to take. All right. For our OCD brethren, they say amen. Alright, so if you want to, if you're going to go through this, man, this is just a driving thought of the text. It says right here that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift to a totally undeserving world. You know, it's almost expected around Christmas time when we, we read verses like God so loved the world that He, that He gave. And this is telling us that God initiates what we can initiate. And often around Christmas time, we expect gifts, don't we? You ever received a gift from somebody? Maybe they're not in your, in your, in your family. And you, you say, oh, oh, you didn't have to do that. And they say, oh, no, I didn't have to do that. But sometimes if people don't give us gifts, it's like we wonder, why didn't you give me a gift? Okay? And nobody's nodding because we're all thinking the same thing on that. Like we expect gifts sometimes. But notice what the text says, that God so loved the world. Now, um, in fact, in the original language, it's very, very, very interesting because you could read it like this. So much for he loved God the world. That's the way that it would read, okay? But what it's saying here at the very beginning of the sentence is opening up the door to say this is going to be big, all right? Like this is going to be a big, huge package of truth because it says that God loved the world. Now, the word that the Bible uses for loved here is not um, for any type of, of, of erotic love, eros in the New Testament. It doesn't use that. It doesn't use the word phileo, like Philadelphia, the city of 
of brotherly love, phileo, Philadelphia. But it uses the word agape, which is an incredibly love, strong love that can't be bought. It's one of those things that it's like somebody does something for you and you're like, why would you do this? If you could imagine, go with me on this train of thought. If you and I had so much hatred and bitterness against someone that we say, you know what? I'm going to take I'm going to take a can of diesel and when they're sleeping, I'm going to pour the can of diesel around their house. I'm going to light. I'm going to burn that joker's house to the ground. And we do. They make it out alive. The next day they show up at your house and offer to pay the balance of your mortgage. That's undeserved. That's uncalled for. The Bible here is telling us that God so loved the world. And the word world in the original language is very interesting. You know what it is? It's cosmos. Like the whole universe, everybody living on the planet, the Bible says that God passionately loves. And the Greeks never, for those of you who are history buffs, the Greeks would not use this word, agape, with the gods. Those of you who are interested in Greek mythology or have seen the Clash of the Titans, the movie, the gods are not characters that love, that are benevolent, that are, that are merciful and gracious. The gods are vindictive and selfish and mean and capricious. So when the Bible here is using the word that God loves the world, it's speaking of something that even the Jews didn't fully understand because they said, well, of course God loves us. Right? Have you ever been part of a church? Or, you know, it's like, well, God loves us, but there are the bad people out there. Okay? And Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if we learned one thing here recently, that there are no good people, can I get an amen on a Sunday morning and Christmas? All right? There are zero good people. It's not that the bad people are out there. It's not that the good people are in here. It's that this, every single one of us is capital B-A-D. Not cool, bad, like, man, you're bad. You're bad to the bone. But like wicked, evil, corrupt, selfish, and going straight to hell without Christ. Aren't you glad you came to church on Sunday morning or Christmas, right? Okay? Like every single one of you are bad and wicked. And my heart, if we could open it up, we would find nothing good. And that's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is that God, because he's God, he loved the world. So what did God do? Notice what it says here in verse 16, that he gave his only son. This means that God gave us what we could never earn, but what we truly need. It means that God loved the world so much, like to this extent. Right? Have you, ever, you ever been, you know, those of you who are um, in a dating relationship or marriage say, I love you so much. Then guys, you're like, I need to think of something good. Like, I love you more than, right? And you think of a country song or some love song. I love you more than the stunt, right? And something to fill it in. Like, let me give you a metaphor. Let me give you an illustration of my love. I love you this much. And that's why sometimes when we give gifts, we tear off the price tag, Right? Because we don't want them to think that we love them this many dollars worth. But the Bible here says that the way that God revealed His love is that He gave His only Son. Now, when you read the Bible, it would say, especially in the King James, His only begotten Son. And when I was younger, sometimes I I thought, okay, begotten. Like when I read the Old Testament, it's like, especially certain parts, it's like He begot him and, and, and Arphad uh, begat Saphax and so forth. I mean, it's like all of these begats and it's like a father and a son. Well, if that's true, then Jesus didn't always exist. But that's not what the word means. In fact, I looked it up in the dictionary here in, in the Greek lexicon. It means the only begotten means this. 
to being the only one of its kind or class, unique in kind or something that is the only example of its category. That means that Jesus is totally unique, that there is no one who compares with Jesus. Amen, church? That means that when we compare everybody together, when we get every PhD in the world, every MD in the world, they can't heal like Jesus can. When we get every mind, every philosophical, brilliant PhD, double PhD, or if you want to spell it out phonetically, right? I mean, all of that together, and you put it together, and you can come up with some good ideas, but that can't compare to Jesus, Because the Bible says that He is the only, God's only Son. He is the only one who is from the Father. The only one who's existed. Jesus can solve problems in our lives that no one else can. I think it's good sometimes to talk to people, right? We see that God gave His only Son and He saves people through Jesus. And He gives people who are saved through Jesus. But a lot of times we need to go we need to go old school like the old Southern Gospel song for our Southern Gospel fans. This is like our once a year. Pastor Jeff is giving a thumbs up to it. All right. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what we got to do to go to Jesus because he can solve any problem. Let's take a step back here. I'm not a parent. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only. Only. I'm not a parent, but I do have a Labrador retriever, so I'm going to try to connect this somehow. <laughs> I could not imagine if I had a child. Now imagine if I had five or ten children. Even if I, yeah, that'd be awesome, right? That would be awesome. I'm serious. That'd be great. But to have your only child and you give them over, not for good people to be saved. What does it say in John chapter 15, verse 13? Actually, let's turn to that. I want you to mark this in your Bibles. Because we're about to go on a train of thought that our thinkers are going to love. John 15, 13. If you haven't noted this in your Bible, please do it. This is my Christmas gift to you, alright? John 15, 13. The Bible says... Greater love has no one than this. So, we're about to look at what the this is. That someone, or man, or anyone, laid down his life for who? For his friends. Okay, now this is in John 15. Jesus doesn't die until a few chapters later. This is like Jesus telling his disciples, you cannot imagine a greater love than it would take. For those of you who are movie lovers, the guardian, right? Kevin Costner, he gives his life at the end to allow the young, uh, the starting out uh, special forces guy who goes and saves people from, from drowning in ships that have turned over. He gives his life. You've watched the movie Braveheart. William Wallace gives his life so that others may have freedom. And remember, those of you who watched Transformers, I I, I caught myself because I was getting emotional at at a machine that was dying, right? I was like, be careful for Bumblebee. I don't want him to get hurt. And so often we can look at these movies and we can be attached and be moved emotionally. But think about the perfect sinless Son of God and how He's contrasted with the things that we do every day that we know that are wicked and evil in His sight. And yet he came and he did that and he told the disciples, by the way, greater love has no one than he who lays down his life for his friends. But if we go over to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we see that Jesus 
that God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he loved us. If you and I could imagine the, the insane amount of love it would take to sacrifice someone who is so dear to us that words cannot express for another friend, but imagine if you multiply that a trillion fold and to say, I would give what I value most and what is most valuable to me for those who are my enemies. And if you and I can stop for just a few seconds and grab a hold of one-tenth of what that means, we may catch just a glimpse of what it means when the Bible says that old VBS verse, For God so loved the world. What kind of world is it? It's a world filled with people who hate God. You know that naturally none of us come out of the womb loving God? We may love a God that we create that tells us, Oh, sure. You know what? That's okay. If you do that, no problem. I'll just look over it. But the God of the Bible, we hate. Notice what Jesus did when he came into the world. When God offers the opposite, for those of you who are taking notes of what we deserve in verse 16, notice what Jesus did when Jesus came. But whosoever believes in him, that means any one of us, whosoever in the Greek it's pos, which means all, everyone. It's an open invitation. Whoever believes in him, trust in him, not believe in him as a character. I've talked to a lot of people. You guys have too, right? Talk to them about the gospel. Tell them how Jesus is an amazing savior. Oh, I believe in God. One of the things that we, that we should say is, oh, well, you know, the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, even the demons believe and they tremble. Wow. Well, what about simply just believing that Jesus is the Son of God? Intellectually, is that enough? What the Bible's talking about here is trusting Him. means total faith and total trust, absolute dependence upon Him. When God gave the opposite of what we deserved, do you remember who was there? We talked about this last night. By the way, we ran out of candles last night for Christmas Eve service. Isn't that a good problem to have? Right? It's like, thanks for coming. You're going to have to let your own light shine, right? I know we had some rednecks in the house with cigarette lighters. You know, Here you go, right? Okay? So, so when we think, think about God and everything that he gave, remember who was there at the beginning? It was the lowliest of the low. It was shepherds. So, so God gave so that whoever, the lowly shepherds, could be forgiven. And not only that, God extends his grace to the old. I love this. Remember, I think it was Luke chapter 2 when we studied, uh, we had... Um, uh, when Jesus was brought into the temple, we had Simeon and Anna. They were just waiting. Can you imagine? Well, let me use this for a minute, right? I don't know if he had a, had a Willie Roberge came, but he was hobbling into that temple, right? He was old. They were both old. And they said, you know what? God has shown me that he's going to, God's going to send them aside. And I'm going to be able to see him with my physical eyes. And then I'm going to be able to go home. What an incredible blessing. When Jesus came into the world, you had the lowliest of the low, the ones who would not have been welcomed into the uppity social circles of the day, the outcast. And then when Jesus was first brought into the temple, God takes the old. The people who society says, well, they are already give out, right? I mean, they've got more years on them than a greyhound bus. Or back then, they were a greyhound camel, okay? Like, they're old. They can't. And God says, you know what? In the very last minute of the fourth quarter of your life, I'm going to show you that I value your obedience. And not only that, you think about the young, right? Remember remember the kid with with the fish and the loaves? And, And that's the only one who really had food. And the kid came, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus received him. In that day, children were not valued. 
They, they, they were not like, oh, look, the kid has shown up. Let's let the kid run everything. It wasn't that way at all. But the kid showed up, and Jesus, I mean, can you imagine being that kid, and Jesus used your lunch to feed 5,000 men, right? Walking into school, be like, guys, when my mom packed that last Lunchable, I don't know what happened, but Jesus made it into something great, right? Like Kraft Foods could not do that. Jesus came to the young. I mean, not only that, Jesus came to... This is an amazing thought. And I read an article on this early this morning. I'm like, yes. So I'm going to read to you. Um, how many of you guys have heard that song? We three kings of Orientar. All right. Ever heard that? Okay. Newsflash. This is from the ESV study Bible. They weren't actually like king kings. Okay. Here's what the Magi were. Wise men. Magoi in the Greek, plural of magos, referred to priests and experts in mysteries in Persia and Babylon. That's not where local Baptist churches were established, okay? But by this time, it applied to a wide range of people whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, and the pursuit of wisdom and magic. These guys were into what the Old Testament says to never be into. So why in the world were they there? Because remember God gave the the promise a long time ago in the book of Genesis that I will redeem all nations to myself. God brought the pagans to worship at the feet of the king. Not when he was born. This was a couple years after. Okay, They went to, to, to Egypt. They waited till God... Finally, let the maniacal Herod die, and then he brought these magi there. And I just, I'm not even trying to make a joke, but if they were in today's culture, you take a lot of the people that are into witchcraft, they're into uh, these deep type of magic things. Um, I think these guys would have been into the occult, and they would have been um, uh, heavily inebriated, and and, and as uh, Tecumseh says for American history buffs, the weed that makes one weary, okay? These guys would have not been your classy, right? No, no, they were into deep, dark magic, but they understood something was happening. God drew pagans to worship at the feet of the baby Jesus who was around two years old. And not only that, Jesus drew in the broken. Do you remember like Mary Magdalene, the one who was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, there at the cross, and it was John, it was just them three? Do you know what Jesus delivered her from? She, she was filled with demons. Imagine that. Sunday morning, this is Mary Magdalene. She's a new member of the church. She's going to give our te- her testimony on how um, she was demon-possessed, but now Jesus has set her free. You talk about baggage. Jesus can take all of the baggage and wash it clean. Not only that, you take that broken man in Luke chapter 18 who was blind. I mean, imagine... Go into your closet if you've got one big enough and, and, and cut off all of the lights in the middle of the night and just try to put maybe even a bag over your head to give yourself a sense of darkness. Never being able to see trees or people or dogs or food. And he knew that Jesus was coming. He cried out as loud as he could, Son of David, which was a messianic reference. Like, you're not just a regular guy. Son of David, have mercy upon me. He cried out. And people told him, be quiet. Get out of the way. You're making things awkward. And by the way, whenever we get to the point where we realize that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, it will get awkward. It will be very non-traditional. Because we will break out of the things that we often look at ourselves to say, I'm a respectable, upstanding American citizen. And we look at Jesus like that man looked at Jesus. He says, son of David, if you don't have mercy on me, I'm doomed. And that's the only reason why any of us are able to be here. And Jesus went and Jesus found him and Jesus healed him. Not only that, but Jesus healed people with sexual sin. Remember the woman in John chapter 8 who was found in the act of adultery and everybody's wanting to stone her. She understood her sin and Jesus 
He did one of the greatest things. He said he was without sin, cast the first stone, and one by one they dropped the rocks and they left. And she was waiting there to die. And he said, where are those who accuse you? Go and sin no more. And Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. And I think one of the most amazing aspects of the Christmas story, I hope that this, you will never forget this. Some of you maybe have studied it. But when Jesus came into the world, God took the lowliest parts of Jewish society and caused them to come see Jesus born, the shepherds. And when Jesus died, there was the strongest men that the Roman Empire could muster. And he stepped back and he said, surely this man was the son of God. That means that when God says that he loves the whole world, he loves the whole world. So Jeff, man, what, what, what do we need from this? The Bible says in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That means that Jesus didn't come into the world to say, hey, by the way, you guys are sinners because we already are. Jesus came to deliver us from the problem, but often in our American culture, it's not so much that that we, we disbelieve that Jesus came to do that. It's just that we don't think that we need that. Are we okay? I encourage you, when you go back home to your families and you you know people there and they're self-righteous, you know that they don't need Christ, they're living in sin, they don't give a rip about God or His Word, but God has placed a burden upon your heart for them. It's like they're walking in blindness. It's like, like we talked the other day, like you share your testimony about how, uh, how Jesus has changed your life and about how He can change their life too. And they look at you with a blank stare like you just told them there's a, there's a, there's a street out in front of the house and there's a tree right there. Like they don't catch the significance. They're blind. I encourage you through this Christmas season to say, Lord Jesus, would you help me to pray? Would you help me to use every avenue I can to help people see that you are the light of the world? And I know that this is Christmas, but I just need to be honest with you as your pastor and your friend. That if you've never been changed by Jesus, it doesn't matter what amount of church involvement you have. You need his forgiveness because without Christ... The Bible says, um, notice here in verse 18, he who does not believe is condemned already. Verse number 19. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, but the people uh, love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. How many of you ever come in and your kids all of a sudden awkwardly scatter all over the house and begin working on homework because they're guilty? The reason why often we don't want to come to God is because we don't want to be with Him because our hearts are opposed to Him. But that's the amazing part of the Gospel. Notice what it says here in verse number 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. That means that when Jesus comes in and when that gift that God has given, Jesus who wasn't just a baby, right? Who lived to be a man who voluntarily gave His life. And who's coming once again as the victorious king and warrior. Amen? Not going to be good, right? He's not coming back as a baby next time. He's coming back saying, look, the world knows who I am. And I'm here to bring it all to a close. The fact that the Bible says that when we 
when we do what is true, we come to the light, that means God has done a work inside of us. You say, man, Jeff, I, I want that to happen. I want Jesus to be in my life. Let me read you a short quotation from, this is an old school Puritan writer. And one of the things about old books is that often they're good books. Especially students, you, you read, and I, this, is, this is not a, a huge general, generalization, but let me generalize, all right? A lot of books that people read today are like, my name is Bob, this is my book. Let me read you what Christians used to write like. This is a book called Call to the Unconverted. He says, how long will you hate your friends and love your enemies? He's talking about, remember blacksmiths? A blacksmith's dog. Notice what he, the, the, most of us has not, have not been around blacksmiths, nor have we known blacksmith's dog. But let's go on a little historical route here. He says, like the smith's dog that is brought to custom to sleep under the noise of hammers and when the sparks fly about his ears, and though all this have not converted you, yet you are alive and might have mercy to this day if you had but hearts to entertain it. You know what Baxter's saying? That, you know, for some of us, we've heard the Bible. We may even have read the Bible. We remember our grandmother reading us the Bible. We know about Jesus. But he said that there is a danger because we can be like normally if a dog was around that type of loud noise, it would be awakened. But it's easy to go to sleep under the sound of the... I hope that you're not asleep. All right, this morning... But it's easy to go spiritually to sleep under the sound of the gospel to say, because I've heard it, therefore I have it. That is never the case. You know that you have it when Christ has changed your life. When Christ has changed your life. I want every single one of us right now, when we go into this invitation time, you be a member here for years, you may be new, you may not be a member, you may just be back to church for the first time. But I'm not asking, have you been baptized? Have you walked down an aisle? Have you joined a church? But has there been a time to where Christ has supernaturally changed you? So you say, Jeff, how do I know that? Has your life changed? Let's um, have our musicians come and Regina is coming. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to offer on Christmas Day a chance for people to, to um, step out for Christ. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed so we're not distracted. This day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus the one who demonstrated his love for the world. Maybe some, and you say, Jeff, I I look back on my life. I see some religion. I see maybe some good things that I did here and there. But truly, if I were to peel back the onion layers of my heart, if I got to the center of it, if if I cracked open that door and pulled it open and saw the cobweb split apart, I would find that I really have no desire for Christ. I have no desire for God. But God has done a work in my heart and I want a relationship with Him. I need to be forgiven. I am a sinner. I need to be saved. This morning, if that is you, we're just going to give you a chance right now. Just there in your seat, just say, Jesus, would you save me? Ask Him, just confess your sin. Give Him control of your life. And for the the ones that you say, Jeff, I have been saved. I'm wanting to serve Christ. It may be that during this invitation that the Lord just needs you to come. And um, if He moves upon your heart to come pray here at the front for a, a lost friend or family member, say, God, I, you know, it may be a little bit awkward, or, but I, I just want to let you know that I'm serious and I'm asking you to do work within my family. And often during the Christmas season, um, there's others you say, Jeff, I've been saved. 
But I, it's a very difficult time of the year because I'm remembering when our family used to be together, whether that was before the divorce or before the death, whatever it may be. Just let this be a time where you cry out there to the Lord from your heart or if you need to come and we sing here to pray to the Lord uh, from this front, these, this, these steps, this area, and just say, Lord, I'm asking you to do a work within my heart. I don't understand why these things happen, but I know that you love me because you sent Jesus to save me. And I'm just asking you to carry me through this difficult time of the year. And some of you are carrying burdens and you just need to, um, as the Bible says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Let this invitation be a time to just once again renew your faith and trust in God and say, God, I need you to carry me through. Father, we ask that you would take this time of commitment and you would bring glory to yourself. And the ones who need to, to um, if there is anyone here who needs to be baptized or to let the church know that you have saved them, would you help them to have the strength and the courage to walk down, Lord, one of these aisles and take me by the hand and let people know on Christmas Day that Jesus has changed my life. In your name we pray. Amen.